Mark chapter 11. We, we teach here, being a Calvary Chapel, we teach chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Uh, it's, it's our approach. Uh, you're not going to get a lot of topical messages here. We, uh, we pick a book, we teach it uh, from beginning to end. One of the beauties of teaching chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is that we are freed up, uh, as, uh, as the Lord leads, just to, to focus on various sections of Scripture. As, as we're just going through the Word, uh, we will get the, the totality of God's will and God's heart on a matter. It's kind of hard to go off in an aberrant uh, doctrine, doctrinal direction uh, if you're going through the whole counsel of God's word. Where people get in trouble is where they, they take one section of scripture, they build a theology around that scripture, uh, and, and they sort of get off track. It, it's, it's the whole, the totality of God's word, taking his word in context and, and comparing that with, with other sections of scripture that gives us a, a sound doctrine, a healthy doctrine. Uh, and that approach also is good because God in his word will just deal with subjects that maybe we're not thinking about or if I, if I was teaching topically I might say well you know this, this week or the next several weeks we're going to teach about marriage and then we're going to teach about children or whatever the case may be and, and I might miss something. I say all that to say this, that as we were going through, through Mark's gospel here in chapter 11, last week we talked about Jesus' triumphal entry to come into Jerusalem, how it was prophesied that he was going to come into Jerusalem. We looked at prophecy, we saw prophecy fulfilled, uh, and, and really what we saw was that even though the Lord had prophesied when he was going to come into Jerusalem, and the prophecy being so exact even to the specific day that he would enter into Jerusalem, that the, the, the Jewish people weren't ready for him. They should have been. It was prophesied, spelled out for them, ten ways from Sunday, this is what's going to happen, this is when I'm coming, and they weren't ready for him. And, and we looked at the implications to us in, in that regard, and that the Lord tells us very specific things in his word. He lays out his will for us very clearly, and he expects that we're going to be obedient to his word, and that we're going to, to live lives in response, knowing that there will come a day when I stand before the Lord and give an account of my life. Uh, and so again... The Lord says what he means. He means what he says. He expects that we're going to live our lives in obedient response to that. And a day is coming when he's going to examine your life for the fruitfulness to see whether or not your life bears fruit consistent with, with his teachings. Uh, and so going through and covering all that, we looked at this example of the fig tree. Uh, and, and we saw that the Lord came upon this fig tree that it had all the leaves, all the signs that it should be producing fruit. He was hungry. He came up to the tree. There was no fruit on the fig tree. He cursed the tree and the tree died. And, and, and the, the text telling us it wasn't the season for figs. And we're like, oh, poor tree. You know, it's not the season for figs and you curse the tree because it doesn't have figs. Well, no, the, the whole idea there is symbolism. It's symbolic. This fig tree, symbolic of the nation of Israel, giving out all the signs that it's producing fruit 
just the nation of Israel giving out all the signs that it's a religious nation, that they're concerned about the things of God, but really on closer inspection, they weren't producing fruit uh, consistent with, with the faith that they professed. And that's the whole lesson for us last week. We're looking at that saying, what's your profession of faith and are you producing fruit in your life consistent with that? And the temptation now is to go through that and say, okay, we've covered that uh, and now let's move on. Let's start talking about Jesus and the opposition that he faced with the Pharisees and how they refused to, re- to revere him as the Messiah, as Lord, and how that opposition uh, caused there to be a, a struggle in, in, uh, a, a, within the, the, the Jewish culture there and so on. And, um, and so, in fact, I spent all week preparing to move along from that section and the Lord called to my attention, verses 25, 26, which we covered last week, but we didn't dig into. And it's a section on forgiveness. And the Lord brought to my attention that, hey, listen, I want you to focus on this area of forgiveness. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to focus on forgiveness. We're just going to pause on verse 25 and 26. And let me just tell you, uh, just out the gate, why I know that this is the Lord's will, that we should dial down and focus on this section, because there's a lot of you that are dealing with the issue of forgiveness. Uh, I know that because the response from first service was amazing. People dealing with this issue of forgiveness. I had a father in first service come up to me after the service and say, the Lord spoke to me and convicted me. I've been estranged from my two daughters and and I need to to get together with them. Uh, And while he was here, hadn't spoken to his daughters in over a year, uh, he was conversing with his daughter via, via email uh, over the, the, the phone, uh, making contact uh, with her to make the relationship right. And that's one of several testimonies uh, that have just come out of this. And so, again, here today, God's got something very specific for you in this area of forgiveness. I pray you'd give uh, these two verses your attention. Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, Jesus says, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. General Norman Schwarzkopf was uh, talking to a group of reporters, and they asked him what role forgiveness played in warfare against terrorists. And you got to love Norman Schwarzkopf. This was his response, classic Schwarzkopf and the bullseye of our hearts issue when it pertains to the area of forgiveness. Norman Schwarzkopf, what, what about forgiveness where terrorists are concerned and, and fighting, fighting wars against them? He said, quote, I believe that forgiving them is God's function. Our job is simply to arrange the meeting, end quote. <laughs> You know, when it comes to this issue of forgiveness, a lot of us have the same attitude. It's like, you know what? God's going to forgive you. Let me just arrange the meeting. I'll just put you out of my misery right now. And, and a lot of us have, have this issue where, you know, it's just so difficult. And how many of you have, have dealt with or are currently dealing with a forgiveness issue? Can I see a show of hands? An honest show of hands. Yeah. Those of you that are honest have raised your hands. Unless you are living in a cave, unless you live in a cave, you have got issues of forgiveness. It's kind of like motorcycle riders. They say there's two kinds of motorcycle riders. Those that have been down and those that are going down, right? 
Two types of writers. Well, there's two types of people in this world. Those that have forgiveness issues currently and those that are going to have forgiveness issues in the future. We all have them. We all have to deal with them. Uh, and, and so, you know, today we, we want to focus on, okay, what's God have to say about forgiveness? How do we deal with this? It's a huge issue. Um, RBC Ministries, they write, they publish the, the daily devotional called Our Daily Bread. You may be familiar with them. They also publish the daily devotional that we post on our website. Um, and uh, I was reading uh, Our Daily Bread uh, that, was, that was published in regards to this issue of forgiveness. And they shared the following excerpt from a will of a man named Mr. Donahue. Uh, and, and Mr. Donahue, in, in his will, written in 1935, was dealing with some serious serious forgiveness issues. Uh, he had some serious hate in his heart. Listen, listen to what he said in his will. He said, quote, unto my two daughters, Francis and Denise, by reason of their uncaring attitude toward a doting father, I leave the sum of $1 to each and a father's curse. May their lives be filled with misery, unhappiness, and sorrow. May their deaths be soon and of a torturous nature. This is a father. It gets worse. He says, may their souls rest in hell and suffer torment for all eternity. Hatred, ugly, horrible. And this is a father talking about his daughters. Now, maybe your issue that you're dealing with. Maybe even today, your issue of forgiveness doesn't run that deep. Maybe you don't have that level of hatred within your heart. But listen, God sees this, 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 the harboring of bitterness and anger and resentment and hatred towards our fellow man, towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. God sees those and, and hears those and his heart is grieved in the same way that your heart is grieved when I share Mr. Donahue's words, harsh words to his daughter. God feels the same way. You see, the problem with unforgiveness is that it damages our relationships. And to the Lord, our relationships are paramount. They're the most important thing in the world to him. You may recall in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, Jesus was asked the question, what's the most important commandment in the law? Do you remember his response? He said, the most important commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. He says, on these two commands, hinge all the law and the prophets. Jesus summing up the Ten Commandments into two commandments. You know, uh, the, the first four commandments. And we're supposed to have one God. Supposed to worship one God, only one God. We're not supposed to have any idols, the second commandment says. Third commandment says that we're not to take the Lord's name in vain. The fourth commandment says that we're to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And these four commandments all pertain to our relationship with God. The, the following six commandments, the fifth commandment says that we're to honor our father and mother. The sixth commandment says we're not supposed to murder. Seventh commandment says we're not supposed to commit adultery. Eighth commandment says we're not supposed to steal. Uh, or uh, to, to, uh, to steal. Ninth commandment says we're not supposed to lie. And the tenth commandment says that we're not supposed to covet. And, and those si- last six commandments all refer to our relationship with our fellow man. And Jesus says on those Those two commandments, the first four being one, the last six being number two, the the entire Bible can be summed up by saying, love God, love your fellow man. 
Of course, those of you that have studied such thing, when the Lord responds and says, you need to love the Lord your God your heart with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, you know that that word that Jesus quotes there, it's a very specific Greek word for love. It is the word agape. Agape is unconditional love. The word agape is used in several places in the New Testament. I'll quote two for you. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The word is agape. Uh, one of my favorite scriptures uh, in all of the Bible, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, the word there, agape, unconditional love. You see, God has loved us unconditionally and he calls for us to love one another unconditionally. Now, this is a tall order. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you just out the gate that it's impossible. The Bible says we love agape because he first loved us. Agape is the word again. The only way that we can love unconditionally is by the, the, the God of heaven dwelling in our hearts, empowering us now to in turn love one another with this unconditional love that, that only he can, he can supply. You don't have enough try in you to love one another unconditionally. You can't do it. You need God to empower you to do that. Now with that in mind, I I want you to notice what Jesus says here in Mark chapter 11, again in verse 25, where he says, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. What are we supposed to forgive? Anything. Who are we supposed to forgive? Anyone. That's a pretty comprehensive list. Right? There's nothing that doesn't fit in anything. Anything means anything. It's like all. All means all. That's all all means. Right? And he says you forget, you're called to, to forgive all things and all people. And, and so, you know, a lot of us, we, we're like, okay, well, <clears throat> I can forgive this, but I can't forgive that. You have no idea, Pastor Ted, what it is that they've done to me. I, I, I can't do it. And to, to that, I would say, you're right, you, you can't, but God can, and he's called you to forgive that person. Turn to, to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 21 through 35, Matthew chapter 18. We're called to forgive anything, anyone, and in that spirit, Peter comes to Jesus in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 18. And he said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. 70 times seven. See, the, the number seven is the number of completion. And what we see here in, in Matthew's gospel is that Jesus is speaking in hyperbole. He's made, he's, it's an exaggeration. Basically, he's saying, you know, seven being the number of completion, I'm calling you to forgive one another completely. And so don't forgive them just seven times. Forgive them 70 times seven. As a matter of fact, what I'm saying is, as often as you have to forgive them, forgive them. That's what I'm calling you to. He says in verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. 
And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. How much is that? Well, a talent is a measure. It's a weight. Uh, and in this, read, in this day, a talent uh, was... Could be a, it could be a talent of silver, it could be a talent of gold. It was a certain weight uh, of, of a certain substance. In this instance, it's a, it's a talent of gold. This man owed his, this king 10,000 talents of gold. How much does a talent weigh? Well, one talent weighs about 3,200 ounces. And so you do the math, you say he owes him 10,000 talents, 3,200 ounces times 10,000. Uh, you, you come up to over 2 million pounds of gold. Again, more hyperbole here. I mean, 2 million pounds of gold. How much is that? It's an incalculable number. It's like huge. The guy owes the guy an ocean of debt. Uh, and... and um, And so there he is, uh, verse 25, it says, but as he was not able to pay, huh, you think, (laughs) 10,000, or yeah, there's just no way, 10,000 talents. As he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and that payment be made. And the servant therefore fell down before him saying, master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. That's the picture of our Lord Jesus Christ with us. That we owed such a huge ocean of debt, there's no way that we could repay the debt that we owed our Lord and Savior. And he had compassion on us, he's forgiven us the debt. Verse 28, but that servant went out. And found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. This is the equivalent of a couple days wages. Uh, And so there he he finds this guy. He's been forgiven more debt than he could possibly pay off. He's been forgiven it. But yet this guy owes him a couple of days wages. And he laid hands on him and he took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. And so this his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Do the words sound familiar? It's exactly what he said to his king who he owed. But look at his response, verse 30, and he would not. But he went and he threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. And so when his fellow servants saw what had been done, They were very grieved and they came and they told their master all that had been done. And then his master, after he had called him, he said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. Verse 35, Jesus speaking, So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Now if you're taking notes, you might want to circle that word heart there in uh, Matthew 18.35. The word is cardia, 
K-A-R-D-I-A. Uh, we get the word cardio from this. We refers obviously to the heart. But for these readers, they thought that the heart was the center of all life. And the picture there that, that Jesus is saying, when he says you need to forgive from your heart, he's saying the center, the core of your being, everything that your life is, everything that you hold near and dear and, and just everything that your life great, rotates around, that's the place where you need to forgive the person who's wronged you. Now, how many times have we been wronged, we're angry, we've taken offense at somebody, and maybe they've done something horrible to us, and we might even have, have we, we thought this, maybe the words have even come out of our mouth, you know what, I'm going to forgive them, but I'm never going to forget what they did to me. Can I just tell you that that flies contrary, counter to exactly what the heart, what the spirit here that the Lord is saying. He says, you know what? My father is going to do the same thing to you if from your heart you don't forgive those people who've wronged you. And again, you say, you know what, Pastor Ted? Yeah, that's fine, but you have no idea what, what the person has done to me. You don't, you don't know how I've been wronged. You, you, you don't know the, the, the hell that that person put me through. Listen, Jesus says it doesn't matter what you've been put through. It pales in comparison to what you've put him through. That's what the Lord is saying. He's saying the debt that you owed me was greater than any offense, any debt that somebody else owes you. It pales in comparison to the debt that you owed me, and you, you've lost sight of that. You don't realize that. Turn to Luke chapter 7. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 48. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. <clears throat> And one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. And she stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. And now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who uh, and in what manner uh, of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so he said, Teacher, say it. Jesus says, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and he said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. And then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. 
He said, you gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. You see, this woman kept in mind who it was Jesus Christ was. She kept in mind the totality of her sinfulness and her wickedness and how she had been separated from the Lord and she mourned and wept over that and that was her heart's desire before the Lord. Conversely, this Pharisee who himself was self-righteous and indignant in his own self-righteousness cast a, a, a downward glance at her saying if he knew she was a sinner, he'd have nothing to do with her. I, on the other hand, I'm a good guy. I'm righteous and I'm good and holy and all this stuff. And the Lord says, you think so, huh? Can I just tell you that this woman has treated me in her sorrow and in her tears better than you have treated me in your arrogance and in your pride and in all your riches? And I think maybe the Lord might say the same thing to some of us when we harbor within our hearts this attitude that says, you know what? Thank you, God, for your forgiveness. I'm right that I'm, uh, I'm glad that I'm right with you. You and me, God, we're okay. You know, I, I know you, you were so, I watched on TV last night stuff I shouldn't have watched. And, and, I, and I said things to my wife that I shouldn't have said. But you, we're okay, Lord, you and me, right? Yeah, we're good. We're good. But you, I'll be, I'll be, doggone, I'm going to forgive that guy. No way, man. That guy, you know what he did to me, Lord? There is no way I'm going to forgive that guy. There are those of us that, that, that harbor these feelings in our heart. And the Lord makes it very clear. He says, look, back in, in, in Mark's gospel, really clearly, he couldn't put it any more plainly. He says, if you, verse 26, do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. Now, at this point, you might say, well, wait a minute, Pastor Ted. If Jesus loves me unconditionally, you made this big point about agape love, this unconditional love. And you're, well, isn't it conditional love if God says that if, I, if the condition is that I won't forgive, then he's not going to forgive me? Isn't that a condition? Yeah, it is. It is a condition. It's the condition of your heart. That's what it is. Turn to uh, 1 John chapter 4. We're talking about this issue of Jesus loving us unconditionally. The Father's love is unconditional. He's laid his life down for you unconditionally, sacrificially, no strings attached. But he does make the comment that, look, if you cannot forgive your brother, if you refuse to forgive your brother, he's not going to forgive you. So how do we reconcile that? How do we say God's love is, is unconditional? But yet we have this condition. We look at the condition of our heart. First John chapter 4, beginning in verse 20. It says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. And he does not, uh, liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. 
1 John 2.9 says the same thing. It says, he who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness. See, here's the thing, and this is the point that Jesus is making abundantly clear. Remember, let's keep this in context. He's gone into Jerusalem. He's looking, he's going to his people. He's told them he's coming. He's looking to find them ready. He's looking for fruit in their lives. And so as he goes there, they're not ready. And metaphorically, we have this picture of him finding this fig tree, promising fruit. It's got the leaves on it. It's got all the outward trappings of, hey, we're, I'm fruitful here. He goes and he inspects the tree. There's not one piece of fruit on it. And he curses it and he judges it. And we're, we're, we see that the symbolism there is of the nation of Israel. Having gone to the nation of Israel, he finds them religious. He finds them proud. He finds them arrogant. But he finds no fruit in their lives. They don't recognize the Messiah when he comes. They haven't bent their knees to the Messiah. They haven't surrendered to the Messiah. And so I ask you, can they have any hope of salvation? The answer is no, they can't. Their hope is in their Messiah. Guys, our hope is in our Messiah. And the Lord, in the exact same way, is going to come and he's going to inspect our lives. And as he inspects our life, what he's looking for is not this this verbal confession that, oh, I'm a Christian. No, he's saying, what's the fruit of your life? What, what, when I examine your life, do I find the fruit that's consistent with the confession of your mouth? I like what Greg Laurie says. He says, going in, calling yourself a Christian, going to church and saying you're a Christian doesn't make you a Christian any more than going into the McDonald's and calling yourself a Big Mac makes you a Big Mac, you know? It's, just, it's, it's, it's inconsistent. It doesn't work out. And so the, the deal is, is that, listen to this, the fruit of true faith is tested by our relationships. Let me say that again. The fruit of true faith is tested by our relationships. And so if you say that you love God and you hate your brother and you can't forgive, then the question is, are you really saved? That's the issue here. That's the whole point that Jesus is making when uh, he's talking here in, in Matthew chapter 11. If you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you, because if you do not forgive, then you have not received the forgiveness of God. That's the point. You say, well, wait a minute. That kind of freaks me out because I've got some relationships right now that, that, that aren't right. I have some people in my life right now that I haven't forgiven. And my response to that is to say, and where's the Holy Spirit been in your life during that time? Have you heard the voice of the Lord telling you that you can't live that way? Have you heard the voice of the Lord telling you that you need to go make it right with that person? Are you hearing the voice of the Lord now as you sit here through your pastor as we're going through the text and me saying, hey, you know what? Before we move past this, the Holy Spirit has told me we need to dial in on this thing right here. Because I think this thing right here is a, is a situation that maybe we, some of us need to take a closer look at. Do you hear the voice of the Lord? The question is, what are you going to do with this? I'm not arguing that it's hard. I'm saying that you can't ignore this. You can't get away from this. You can't sweep it under the rug. It's something that you have to do business with. It's something that you have to take care of. Fruit of our faith is tested by our relationships. And so you might be saying here today, well, you know what, Pastor Ted, that's me. I want to forgive. I just don't know how. 
How do I forgive? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's where we're going to finish up this text. How do we forgive? The first thing you have to do, and if you're taking notes, write this down. The first thing you got to do with the area of forgiveness is you have to deal with your mind and with your emotions. Have you noticed that when you're angry, when you're bitter, when you've taken offense, that your mind and your emotions are your worst enemy in dealing with that? Have you noticed that? It just runs and plays and you think, and then she said, and then I said, and then she said, and you go over it and it never gets any better. It's just you're more and more angry, you're more and more resentful, you're more and more embittered, and the outcome is always the same, you know, to heck with them. I hate them, you know? And, and it's just, it's this horrible thing. I heard, uh, I read Corey Ten Boom was talking about her own experience. And she confided with her pastor. She said, I've got this issue of forgiveness. And this, this, this is really driving me crazy. And she said, it's keeping me up at night. And I want to forgive, but I can't stop my thoughts. And every night I lay awake and the thoughts come and they run. And I'm really trying to get over it. And her pastor said something really wise to her that, that, that it stuck out. And maybe, you know, the shoe will fit for you. But it, at that moment when they were talking, somebody was ringing the church bell outside. And he said to her, listen, Corey, what you need to understand is that the anger, the emotions, the, the, the bitterness that, that you're struggling through emotionally, they're a lot like that bell ringing out there right now. And that bell's attached to a rope and what you do with your emotions is you're, every time you let this thing run in your head and in your heart and you mull it over, you're yanking on that rope. And, and so that bell is going, man. It's got momentum. And he says, what you have to do is you have to choose to let go of the rope. He said, now when you let go of the rope, that bell is still swinging. And you're still going to hear the ding, dong, ding, dong. It's going to reverberate. It's going to continue. He said, but you know what? It's going to happen less and less. You just need to focus on not pulling on that rope. And I think that's really good counsel for us. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, that we are to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And so if you have a situation, anger, bitter, resentful, I want to encourage you, stop pulling on the rope. Bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And when those thoughts come, when the emotions come, when the feelings come, what do you do? Well, instead of thinking about it and mulling over the situation, my recommendation is you pray. Stop pulling on, on that rope and start pulling on the rope of heaven. And just say, Lord, I got, a, I got an anger issue here. Would you please help me get over it? Lord, would you bless them? Lord, would, and, and man, that is a, <laughs> that's a God-sized prayer right there. Because you want to say, Lord, kill them, smite them, strike them dead. You know? <clears throat> Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Get them, Lord. Repay. Get them. No, we need to, to stop doing on that. Here's the next rule. Next rule of thumb. First, we deal with our mind and our emotions. Next, we need to deal with our responsibility. Remember, this issue of forgiveness, it's always, always a part of every relationship. Every relationship you're ever going to have is going to involve forgiveness at some point in the relationship. And it's, going to be, it's not a one-time thing. I mean, how many of you are married? You've discovered that, right? Forgiveness is an ongoing thing. And there's always responsibility, plenty of responsibility to go around, right? 
Some of it's your fault. Some of it's my fault. Some of it's our fault. But I guarantee you, almost nobody has the absolute lion's share uh, of ownership in any issue. You know, there, there's, there's always a lot of fault to go around. So what you need to do is you need to deal with your responsibility. So if you've sinned against that person, maybe you've got a situation of falling out, whatever, and you think, you know, um, yeah, they've wronged me, but I wronged them too. There's, there's sin that I've committed against that person. Well, the Bible's very clear that we need to go and repent. The Lord puts that burden of responsibility squarely on your shoulders. When you've sinned against someone, Matthew 5, 23 and 24 says this, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in the front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. The Lord says, look, my heart for you to have right relationship is so important that if you've got a relationship that's, that's wrong, and you're coming to the altar to, to make your relationship with me right, I would rather you stop, go fix that relationship, then come back and see, I'll wait, here, I'll wait right here. But you go get that taken care of right now. As parents, we understand this. Our kids fight. They're, they're, they're at each other. You need to make it right. You need to, oh, mommy, I love you. Yes, but you just told your brother you hate him, and that's not good. You guys need to get that right. Then, you, then tell me you love me. You're going to tell me you love me by going to your brother. And see, that's, that's the whole heart here. The Lord says, look, you want to give me an offering? Here's what you do. Go make it right. Go fix the relationship. Romans 12, 17 and 18 tells us that as far as it, depend, it depends on us, that we need to seek peace. Here's what it says. It says, do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Okay, How, what do we do if someone sinned against me? You say, you know what, I'm not wrong. I, I haven't done anything. They, you know, I, 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 this person hasn't spoken to me in a year, and it's all their fault. What, what now? Well, Mark 10.25 tells us we need to let it go. If anybody has done anything to you, let it go. Forgive them. That's the first thing. Forgive them. But if you can't forgive them, if you just can't let it go, they've sinned against you and you guys aren't right and man, I just can't get over it. Well, Matthew chapter 18 verses 15 and 16 is very clear. For time's sake, we won't turn there, but I'll, I'll paraphrase for you. Matthew chapter 18 verses 15 and 16 basically says, if your brother sins against you, go tell everybody about it and malign his character. Isn't that what it says? No, it says if your brother has sinned against you, go to your brother. Just the two of you. Work it out. Get there. Get there as quickly as you can. But we don't do that, do we? We go to everybody else. Let me tell you what my wife did to me. Can you believe this? I got up and, and she just, you know, whatever. You know, and, and, and there, there's, we were so comfortable talking to everybody else about how we've been wronged or whatever. No. Uh, we need to, to be those people that say, you know, scripturally, the Lord says the, the relationship is important. I've been wronged. I need to go to that person. I need uh, to work it out with them. We need to go in a spirit of gentleness. Proverbs 15.1 tells us this. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so we need to go with that heart, that, that, not the heart that says, oh, Matthew chapter 18 tells me that, uh, you know, if he sins against me, I need to go to him. Buddy, you're getting both barrels, man. You sinned against me, I'm going to tell you what you did, and we're going to get... No, it goes with, you go with the right heart that says, 
hey, man, you wronged me, and our relationship isn't right, and we need to get this thing right. We need to work through this. That's, that's the, the heart is reconciliation. It's, it's not retribution. It's a heart of reconciliation. Hey, we need to get this thing right. And so you go and you, you, you work on that situation. You say, well, you know what? That's, kind of, that's, that's a hard thing to do. What if I go and, and I try and reconcile with them and I can't reconcile with them? What if I go and I, and I make myself vulnerable to them and, and then they, you know, chew me up and spit me out and I'm just going to be more mad than I was? Yeah. But you know what? The Bible says, as far as it concerns you, live at peace with all mankind. And Jesus said, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all, say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, if you are persecuted for righteousness sake, if you are persecuted for trying to do what's right in my sight, you will be right with me. And that's all that matters. And I want you to notice here that the burden of responsibility is redundant in any situation. In other words, the Bible is very clear that if I have sinned against you, I have the responsibility, biblically, to go to you and make it right. And also, if I have sinned against you, then biblically, you have the responsibility, the responsibility biblically to come to me and make it right. Let's reverse that. If you have sinned against me, biblically, you have the responsibility to come to me and make it right. But it's also true that if you have sinned against me, biblically, that you have, or that I have sinned against you, that you have the responsibility to come to me. In other words, it doesn't matter who started it. It's each person's responsibility. If I've wronged you, I got to go to you. If you've wronged me, I got to go to you. If you've wronged me, you got to come to me. If I've wronged you, you got to come to me. Doesn't matter. Here I get it, man. I mess it up. Doesn't matter who starts it. God says it's your responsibility. Here's why. Here's why that's important. Because we get in situations where we say, well, screw them. They messed with me. It's their fault. They need to come and say, I'm sorry. No. They, they, yes, they do. But so do you. God's very careful to say that it's your responsibility no matter what the situation. And he wants both of us to carry the same burden of responsibility. Why is that? Well, here's what he says, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. The whole idea here is that God is banking on the fact that if, if you're a blow at and in sin, that, that I'm going to be strong enough to come to you. Or if I'm a blow at and I'm in sin, that you're going to be strong enough to come to me. He's basically doubling the odds here that the relationship is going to be preserved. And, and why does he do that? Because he could care less about right or wrong. He just wants us to get right in our relationship. And that's why he says, look, I don't care who wronged to. Go, get together, work it out, have some reconciliation here because that's the most important thing to me. In conclusion, I, I want to tell you a story. Um, it's out of a Guide, Guidepost magazine article. It was written in 1979 and, and it's a long article. I just kind of paraphrase it for you. But I share it with you just to kind of share our father's heart. Um, a nurse telling the story, uh, a patient comes into the, to her hospital and he's having a heart attack. And 
And, you know, it's, it's serious, but it doesn't look like the guy's going to die or anything. But, but there he's in, they're treating him, and, and the guy's wigged out, and he's telling the nurse, look, you need to call my daughter. And he gives, writes down her name and number. He says, you need to call her. And she says, yeah, I'll call her. He goes, no, you don't understand. You need to call her. You really need to call her. You need to call her right now. And she said the guy was just, you know, just unusually really preoccupied about, hey, you need to call her. You need to call her right now. Uh, and, uh, and he says, my daughter's last words to me over a year ago as she walked out the door were, I hate you. And we haven't spoken since. And he said, I'm afraid I'm dying here and, and, and I, can't, I can't die and have my daughter live with that on her heart. And, and so I just need, I need you to call her and, and she needs to get here. We need to get our relationship right. And the gal says, yeah, I'll go call her. So she did. She, walked, she left the man's room. She went. She called his daughter right that moment. And the daughter just melted down on the phone, just sobbing, crying. Don't let him die. Don't let him die. You can't let my father die. Please, please. I said the worst things when we, when the last time I saw him over a year ago, I told him I hated him. And, and I just, you can't let him die. She says, no, honey, he's not going to die. Come down. You know, she says, I'll be there in 30 minutes. Daughter hung up the phone, raced down. Well, between the time that the nurse talked to her and, and the, the daughter got there, the man died. And the daughter came in and she just fell apart. She just, just was just sobbing uncontrollably. And, uh, and then the nurse noticed that the man had scribbled something down with the same paper and pen that he had used to write her name and number down after she left. He obviously started writing. He'd written an, a note to his daughter. And he basically said, I know you love me and I love you and I'm so sorry that... that, that that we've had this falling out. And, and, you know, it's a true story. But, you know, sadly, it's, it's a true story in many of our lives. We've got relationships that we're estranged from right now. And, and like I said, I just share the testimony this morning. One, one of our members coming, many of our members coming saying, you know what, I've got relationships I need to get right. Some of you, you've got relationships you need to get right. Now, today, you need to get them right. And God's heart, our Father's heart is, is look, I, I don't care about what you guys fought about. And most of it isn't going to matter anyway. I care about you. I care about your relationship. I just want to see you get it right. And life's too short for you to be estranged from one another, for you to allow this hate and this bitterness and this, 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 this disconnect to be, to be harbored in your heart. It's not serving any good. The Lord would tell us just... Get it right. And we close the service partaking of communion today like we always do. And and I think we would do well to remember that this is a time to remember our Father's forgiveness of us. We've sinned against the Lord. And He's forgiven us in Christ Jesus. God demonstrates His own love, unconditional love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, sinning against Him, Jesus died for us. That's what we celebrate as we partake of communion. We say, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness and help me to walk in righteousness. Well, guys, righteousness, walking in righteousness means we forgive the way we have been forgiven. Amen.